Mariano Lofil. Marca Mesuto Fil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Goodly morning, even. Is it goodly? Are you having a goodly one? So far, I mean, it's it's young in its life this yeah. morning. I do wonder, but, are we allowed to have a goodly morning if we haven't won at the weekend? That's that's just my well, consideration here. Isn't that just the paradox of this weekend, though? Isn't that the curious thing about this weekend? I feel like we didn't win, and yet... It's, it wasn't that bad a weekend, football-wise. That's true. That's true. There were some very amusing, very very humiliating bits that went on for, for other people that we can take enjoyment in as football fans and as human beings to see an actual real-life monster embarrassed on his return to his former club. I, th- I think it does constitute a goodly morning, so I will allow that one to stand. Thank you very much. We went to the panel and it's it stood. Good yes, news. yes. So look, uh, how was your weekend? What tragic, uh, unfortunate, terrible thing befell you? I noticed that you were allowed back into the Emirates. That was good. Yes, that was. I mean, you know, I, I, I was in disguise. I had one of those sort of fake noses. You know, I had fake glasses on top of my real glasses <laughs> <laughs> to try and get in. I What have I been doing? I've been dreaming again. I can't stop dreaming. Every night, I, every morning I wake up. Last night I was convinced that I was going to be interviewed by Michael Parkinson. I was very nervous about it. Right. Um, and it was, uh, you know, my, my main concern was, am I being interviewed or am I just there to play a song at the end? Oh, Didn't well, know. Yeah, that's always a bummer, especially, uh, I don't know if it happens to you in dreams, but I, I've, I've often been called up on stage to perform. I remember once um, being invited up to perform on stage with Wang Chung to do dance hall days. And they handed me a guitar and I was standing there going, I don't, I can't play the guitar. And mm. they were going, don't worry about it. It's fine. Just kind of strum along there. <laughs> it was a disaster. People were throwing things at me. I was ruining an 80s classic. Um, so that, that tends to happen to me when I dream about uh, music. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have similar similar feelings about that one. And uh, but speaking of music, on mm. Saturday night, mm-hmm. I was witness to uh, a lovely a lovely performance by yourself online. <laughs> was it lovely? Yes. Oh um, yeah, that's that's the word that I chose in the end. Yeah. Well, look, these things. It was happen. an education for me. Mm. Well, I'm History sure. Lesson. Sure. I, I I'm not going to lie to you, James, and say that I remember everything that I said. During no, that, they uh, were my favourite bits. The talking between the songs <laughs> were definitely my favourite bits. Yeah, there was some late-night bur- bourbon-inspired uh, broadcasting going on uh, via my Mixler channel, which uh, I-, I might do a bit more regularly, but I might do it while uh, also a bit more sober. One of the things I also did this weekend, James, was I, I played around with Snapchat very, very briefly. Because I was okay. trying to figure it out, you know. I, I don't think it's necessarily for me. And I was playing around with some of its features, and I did mm. some... I did some of the, you know, the face swap things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, So, um, have you got your WhatsApp there open in front of you? Oh, I'll open it. Yeah, I'll get it. All right. I'm going to send you these um, increasingly disturbing face swaps I did from, uh, I think, some of the pictures that were on my phone uh, and some of the pictures that were taken in New York. So, uh, I'm going to send you the first one now. Okay. 
And it's a bit weird and a bit freaky, and, and you'll see it now when it comes through. All right, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand Snapchat either. Really. Oh, wow, that's... that's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's your head. Yeah. With some of my head. Yes. <laughs> and an Arsenal logo that appears to have sort of been dragged into the fray. Yes, that's okay. that one. Okay, well, this is this is the second one, and they become, as I said, increasingly more more difficult. Uh, we look like a, a Mr. Potato Head that someone's not arranged very well, the features on. Yeah, you know? okay, well, here's, here's the second one. You can describe this one for the people when okay. it comes in. I'm excited. I mean, this is amazing. It's, it's it's funny that you've made these pictures on Snapchat, but you understand Snapchat so little that you're WhatsApping them. To yeah, me. I exactly. think that sort of basically sums up. <laughs> oh wow, it's got worse. Now, what's changed between those pictures? You're using a different picture of you. I think or it's me. a different picture of you. Yeah. Right. What I'm seeing is what I'd loosely describe as a head <laughs> <laughs> with my glasses. And then it's got two mouths, one directly <laughs> above the other. Yeah. God knows when that would come in useful, but it's it's really genuinely horrific. Yes. Well, wait till the third one. This okay. is, to my mind, the, the stuff of nightmares. This um, is the pièce de résistance. This is the pièce de résistance. It looks like... You know if you heard a noise under your bed and you went, God, there's a person under my bed. Right. <laughs> this is... When you look under the bed, this is who the person under your bed is. It's coming okay. through to you, coming through to you right now. All the way from Ireland. All the way it's from Ireland. Flying yeah. across the ocean <laughs> to reach me. Um, I'm, oh, oh, God. <laughs> See, the thing... <laughs> so, we'll put these up somewhere. Yeah, we'll, we'll put them... The yeah, or yeah. But this one looks the most like an actual human being of the three. Like, it's the least alien, but it's also, for that reason, probably the most terrifying. Mm. It's a strange I, mashup, that one, isn't it? Yeah. I don't actually recognise anyone in that. I don't I don't even know. <laughs> it looks a bit like, you know... It actually looks... A, do you know what the worst thing is? What? If you take out your, the hair from it, it actually looks a little bit like Phil Collins. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Not at all. I don't see uh, that. No. It's awful. It's the worst, worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I think but, it might look, you know, it might look weirdly like that guy from Maroon 5 pulling a strange face. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's disturbing. Or, I don't know, Limmy? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not pretty. The important thing to have learned is that we must never procreate. <laughs> that is true yes thankfully thankfully I, I together i mean the fact that you have a daughter already is fine yes, yes <laughs> that's okay yeah, yeah, that's yeah. permitted me and you yeah should you and i shouldn't have should technology as as advance our... itself to the point where yeah. it's possible we should like resist the temptation that's what you're saying i'm saying exactly that yeah. all right well look um Mourinho. <laughs> Mourinho. oh wow that was absolutely amazing wasn't it fun wasn't I had fun? a feeling, I had a feeling, I texted my brother saying, I've got a feeling United might get hammered today, I should have had a bet on. Mm. And when that early goal went in, I mean, to be honest, all the goals, there were just brilliant camera shots of him looking furious and mm. sad. And I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's difficult because I don't enjoy Chelsea having a great day. No. But I think that's a sacrifice I was prepared to make. Yeah, the altar of Mourinho's humiliation. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, and lo and long may it last. Somebody, somebody posted up a, a stat. I think he's only won something like seven or twelve of his last 
40 games, something like wow. that. I got to find it. I'm sure somebody posted it to my Twitter. Um, I mean, uh, they they were so poor, United. And and mm. um, people say, oh, has Mourinho lo- lost some of his aura? And the answer to that has to be undoubtedly yes. I mean, mm. th- th- his teams don't have the same kind of solidity that they, they did in previous previous years and and you know they did get a point at liverpool by only play but only by playing in the most horrific yeah. dull manner i mean the thing about Mourinho is that uh, the status actually here from uh, at himalayan gunner thank you to him uh, and the stat comes from at afc statsman uh, who says that uh, define specialist in failure and the answer is seven wins 12 draws and 21 losses from Mourinho's last 40 games what's really interesting is that when he goes to a new club first his impact is is usually very strong, mm. you know that he he, he starts well. Uh, his teams generally, if if they're not necessarily uh, flying, look very very functional. And um, I don't know, it's a long may it last. I mean, it's it's the it's the joy of Mourinho losing. Also, the icing on that particular cake is United losing as well, and that's always a that's always a good thing and an, uh, an enjoyable thing. He's doing some very strange things there, I think, Mourinho. I mean, there was all that fuss in the summer about Henrik Mkhitaryan, uh, and he can't get a kick now. He wasn't even on the bench this week. Yeah, I mean, that there's something weird going on there, for sure. Something mm. very odd. Um, uh, wasn't Mkhitaryan's agent uh, the same guy as, as Zlatan and, and Pogba? It's your so. man, um, Mino Raiola, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's not as if this is a guy that... Um, you know, it's come out of the blue, something like that. Uh, I don't know. I find that that situation very, very strange indeed. Yeah, um, it feels like a sort of Juan Mata, I guess. Yeah. You know, all over again. Yeah. And it, it feels almost, it's sort of Mourinho doing his, look, I, I'm the boss. I have the power. Look what I can do to a 30 million pound signing. So I can do mm-hmm. it to any one of you. But I do wonder if it if it backfires a bit um, or is backfiring a bit. You know, his, uh, his I'm a massive cunt tactics tend to work. But maybe players are just wise to him now and, you know, doesn't have the same the same fear factor, perhaps, that he used to. So, Yeah, well, as you say, long may that continue. And, and as I say, it was a, a decent weekend. I mean, <laughs> so frustrating because we, we had a big opportunity. We didn't take advantage of it. Manchester City dropped points as well at home, Southampton. Mm. Uh, what are they, four games without a win now? In all Five, I think. Five, wow. Mm. No one really saw that coming. Spurs drew as well. Uh, so, you know, for the most part, Things went for us, I guess, depending on if your glass is half full or half empty, that's like a, a great relief or makes it all the more irritating that we couldn't beat Borough. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think it's probably a little from column A, a little from, from column B, to be honest. I think there was always going to come a time where where it didn't happen for us, where it didn't really click. And it, it wasn't dissimilar, was it, from the game against Burnley a few weeks ago when yeah. they defended very deep, uh, they were well-organised, uh, much like the Burnley game as well. They had probably the best chances in the game, Borough, um, and, and we couldn't find a way through. We couldn't unpick their defence, and, and I think there was probably something in our performance, much like the one against Burnley, that was affected by the midweek game. And I know it was a 6-0 win, it was a, something of a coasting, but when you are playing against a team that hasn't had a midweek game and you are just a little bit leggy, even if it's 1% or 2%, it can make a difference in the way that you play. And I think we saw that against Borough. I think we did. I mean, I suppose the first question is, hindsight is twenty twenty. but did we? should we have rested more players in midweek against Luda Perez? Yeah, I mean, possibly... Possibly, 
six nil in the end was very comfortable, but it wasn't always completely comfortable, particularly in the first half against Ludogorets. And I think we're balancing the idea of taking it seriously and trying to win the group seriously. I think everybody um, after the Ludogorets game could really have had no complaints about anything that happened on the night. You know, we won 6-0, Ozil got a hat-trick. We are showing that when it comes to the Champions League, we're not taking teams lightly like we have done in the past. And it's cost us in the past. So the, the, the positive of that, I suppose, the negative um, surfaces at the weekend when you are just a little bit, little bit tired. I mean, I was surprised that Ozil stayed on for, for the 90 minutes Yeah, uh, against yeah. Ludogorets. I mean, it was great that he did, obviously, and, and scored, but uh, maybe that was reflected in, in, uh, in his performance a little bit, just that, that tiredness as well. So... Um, the, the costly one felt like Santi Cazorla, obviously, because he picked up the knock against Ludogorets, and then I think we missed him against Middlesbrough. We, do you, you know, I mean, do you really... Do you, I saw a lot of people say that, and I understand it, because he's a, a very clever footballer, uh, and I think uh, Coquelin and El Nenny in, in the centre of midfield are a very functional partnership, but they, yeah. don't, they don't necessarily have a great deal of craft. So, I mean, they'll, they'll shield your back four, and they'll do that job, and keep the ball ticking over and keep it moving, and look for other people to do it. Maybe we miss someone like Xhaka a bit more than Cazorla, because Cazorla played against Burnley as well. So he was in the team that day, and you know his presence. Um, uh, you know we still struggled on on that particular day as well. So look, I, you know I would have preferred to have Cazorla in the team than one of Coquelin or El Neni, but <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure that it was just down to his absence that we looked a little bit toothless. I, I don't think it's the reason we were toothless, but if you take a player like Meza Erzo, I mean, he he was a bit tired, I think, after midweek, and he wasn't at the same level. But I think a lot of that was because we weren't finding him as early as we might have done mm. with vertical passes. And you're right, Xhaka is a player who does that, but we knew he was going to be suspended for mm. this game. I mean, the decision not to appeal his red card, maybe... Is questionable now, yeah, like, yeah. You know, having lost Cazorla. That that looks a little odd, doesn't it? In hindsight, yeah, it does. I mean, I think um, it looked odd at the time. To yeah, be fair. yeah. I mean, I think we've been down this road. I mean, what struck me as well is I, I think yesterday or yesterday Saturday was a game in which uh, a fit Aaron Ramsey might have been a very nice option in midfield. People talk about mm. Cazorla missing. People talk about Xhaka uh, being missing. But you know, th- this struck me as a game that. Um, if we had Ramsey alongside one of Coquelin uh, or El Nani, then we would have had just that little bit more dynamic uh, in the centre of midfield. Somebody who's willing to get to get forward without necessarily compromising the the defensive side of the team. So that's true. I mean, when you lay it out like that, there are three big players missing from the centre of midfield, mm. uh, and I think that had an impact. But nevertheless, you know, there were chances in this game. I mean, you think of. The Alexis one, where he got played in by Theo Walcott on the right-hand side. Lauren Koscielny so nearly getting on that uh, flick-across goal with a set-piece towards the end. And furthermore, Petacek was really outstanding at the other end of the game. I mean, it, you know, it was difficult to complain about the point given our performance. It never necessarily felt like a match we were going to win mm. during it, if anything they looked more dangerous on the break. I mean, Czech was very good, all right. Uh, made a couple of big saves. And that's, I mean, that's what he's there for. It did feel to me while the game was going on, from about 15 minutes, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those. This is going to be one of those days that we are going to struggle because of the way that Borough was set up and the way that they were playing. You knew we were going to have to find something special or something maybe just a bit accidental. But when Czech made those saves, particularly the one with the header at the back post, I think the, the Ramirez will have nightmares mm-hmm. about that one. 
it felt like, okay, these are the kind of saves you need your goalkeeper to make when you sneak a 1-0 at home when you haven't necessarily played as well as as you might like. But unfortunately, you know, we couldn't get the goal. He threw on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, threw on Lucas Perez as well. But really, it didn't make any significant difference to the to the way that we attacked. I mean, we had plenty of the ball. Um, and I suppose we'll we'll touch on this uh, now. Uh, there were a lot of questions about it, um, but people looking uh, and asking would Olivier Giroud have made much of a difference? I think I think he might have done, and that's all you can really know. But mm. it, it, it certainly would have been something that would have been worth a go. Uh, he just would have allowed us to change our approach because the approach that we had was really struggling to break down mm. who were very resilient it's worth saying they were a good defensive team in the championship last year didn't concede a lot of goals uh, and it looks like they're going to be able to take that philosophy into the Premier League to a certain extent yeah uh, maybe Callum Chambers will learn a thing or two well yeah there. I saw you make that point but I mean it, it is a good point that if um, yeah. you know if he's going there to learn and play regularly and develop I mean Karanka was a, a centre half so that was always a positive from that point of view um, you know that that when he went there he would be I guess, educated to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I've seen Chambers talking about the training at Middlesbrough and it sounds like it's quite different to Arsenal. He's spoken at some length about the, the preparation, you know, the fact they get detailed, you know, uh, dossiers on every opposition player and what have you. So it's a very different approach to the one he's accustomed to, I, I envisage, but one that could, could certainly benefit him. Dossiers, before mm. you go out and play... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure footballers love reading those. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Like, here's a 48 page, uh, 48 page thing on Traore. Uh, he's fast, isn't he? That guy, Jesus. Yeah, really fast. He's just had a curious career. Was at Aston Villa last year yeah. from Barcelona. Yeah, um, didn't he, make any impact at all. Really. Yeah, strange. I mean, he looked he looked very handy, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, we've come up against a few of those guys in the last few weeks. How many do you think of Barrow at Swansea? Uh, maybe there's something to be said for our left-hand side. Maybe that's where the opposition are looking at, at us being slightly weak from a defensive point of view. A lot of questions about Monreal again today. I mean, we've covered that, I think, in, in general. But it does feel like there's a bit of an issue down our left-hand side. Yeah, and actually I thought Kieran Gibbs was was pretty good against Ludogorets, if not mm. sorely tested. So he might have felt a little aggrieved to not stay on the side, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. Gibbs likely to get another chance in the week against Reading, of course. Yeah, yeah, we do. We've got EFL Cup. So, yeah, I mean, the other teams around us, like you said, Tottenham, uh, they drew Manchester City, drew Liverpool, won. So it's very tight. There's this nice uh, little bunch of teams there at the top. Um, three teams on 20 points, two teams on 19 points. Yeah. Uh, so it's shaping up to be a pretty tight season. It is. five. That's, that's remarkable, isn't it? Five teams within a point of each other. Mm. Uh, um, it looks very tight indeed. I guess the the positive thing is that we're very much part of that pack. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's impossible to call at the moment. You, I couldn't even really say who's got the momentum in that group. It seems to shift week by week. Um, I think Liverpool... Liverpool look decent, but and they've they've played some very tough away games already. Yeah, and they won at Chelsea, won at Arsenal, uh, but beyond that, not you know we're in the mix, and that's that's got to be good enough for now. Annoying, annoying to drop two points, but we, you know, we had a couple of close calls in that run. We had yeah. late goals against Burnley, late goal against Southampton. Just didn't you know you can't it can't come off every time like that. Yeah, true. I mean, what the fuck was I going to ask you there? 
I've com- oh, no, I remember now. I mean, was it one of those where you might say in previous seasons it's a game that we might have got nothing from? Because we have had those smash-and-grab games before, haven't we, where we've conceded, let's say, uh, the first uh, the first shot on goal from the opposition. That was a thing that was going on for a while. If you remember, they'd have one shot, we'd have 50 and all the possession, and, and we wouldn't be able to score, and then you go down. So maybe there's a bit of improvement in that regard. Some of it, of course, has got to go down to poor finishing. Um, we get a bit lucky. I think we did get a little bit lucky. Uh, against uh, against Boris, so you know it is two points dropped, but it's also um, we also gained a point. I didn't come away with yeah, nothing. I another mean, another clean sheet. Um, so yeah, I think all in all, like a fairly kind of a day, but not the not the worst in the world. No need to go absolutely crazy. I don't think. One thing uh, that stood out to me about the game, I know last week we spoke about on Sky. They'd said that Shaka's sending off was justified because it was. Uh, there's a new rule about a foul and you've got no chance of getting the ball. Mm. Were that the case, I, <laughs> I suspect uh, Scott Ambrose Staffy might have been in trouble for his extraordinary rugby tackle. Did you see that one? I did, yeah. I mean, he made a bit of a mess of it. Um, and again, look, it's it's that kind of cynical foul. We've been talking about this and I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I like mm. it because... Look, if you try and stop the guy uh, and let him go through and he scores, look, take a yellow card. If you need to take a yellow card, take a yellow card. But, yeah, I wonder was his heart in his mouth a little bit when he made that uh, when he made that tackle. There was another incident, actually, as well. One, one of the times Traore kind of roared through the midfield towards goal, he went past Cochrane, and, and I sort of saw Cochrane go to trip him and then mm. not. And I wondered if that, that Xhaka incident was in his mind. It's, it's difficult when there's... Not that clarity about rules. You know? Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, what sure. what is the rule? Is that an, an actual rule? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we went over it with the jacket thing. I think what, you know, our conclusion was that the referee saw it as something more violent uh, than mm. it actually was, and that's why he got the red card. So it would be good to get some clarity on that. Um, if you're listening, yeah, referees, yeah, referees, get in touch. <laughs> the FA, whoever, just you know, drop us a line and, and see if. I mean, it must be in the rule book, no. I guess uh, you'd think, wouldn't you? The the laws. Yeah, the is rules. it a law or is it some? Is it a uh, a directive? That's the thing. Yes. Yes. I don't know. We need a dossier. To yeah. find out. <laughs> so, all right. Well, look, that was that was that. Um, but tomorrow night, then we have got uh, EFL Cup action against yes against Reading. Now, the last mm. time we played Reading in this competition, it was the most mental game I think I've ever seen. Of course it was. 7-5, mm. wasn't it? 4-0 down after, what, about 35 minutes? Something extraordinary It like was that, ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. So um, I guess we, you know, we don't necessarily want a repeat of that. Um, but a good chance for Arsene Wenger to, to shift his squad around. I think he's going to rest plenty of players, and we're going to see some fringe players and some, some young players get a chance as well. Yeah, I mean, I think with there being a a couple of injuries in the squad, definitely a few youngsters will get a look in. Mm. Um, I mean, a few people sent in questions saying, what do we think the the team's going to be? Do you want to deal with that now? Yeah, let's let's have a go with that now. So I reckon he's going to play Martinez in goal. He played the last round, didn't he? Yeah. Do you think Carl Carl Jenkinson could make a comeback at fullback? Is is he ready? I don't know if he's ready. He's had like one game, hasn't he, for the under-23s, something like that, and he played an hour. So whether he's quite ready... 
to play, but it would be a good game. Would be a good game to bring him back in if he is. Uh, there's some talk of uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles getting another run at right back. I mean, do we know what's happening there? Is he just being asked there, asked to play there because uh, Jenkinson's been injured and Debushi is injured, or are they redeploying him? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know, but he's you know most of his football has been played in more advanced positions. Mm. I think it might be a temporary thing, but he has. Right got the attributes and we've certainly seen you know the likes of Gibbs make that transition effectively before mm. um, so I, th- I suspect it's between those two at right back uh, Gibbs at left back you would think you would think and Holding and Gabriel at centre half yeah that would certainly make sense ahead uh, of that it becomes a little trickier really I think uh, he'll I think he'll play on Elneny yeah okay well that, that would be one mm-hmm. uh, um Oxlade Chamberlain will play somewhere. Yeah, I think uh, he might play the Jeff as well. Th- yeah, uh, uh, Forrest Chubrakpon played wide, but I suspect he might still be injured. Actually. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, he, he could bring Giroud back in, um, so he could play the Jeff on the right. He could play Giroud up front, uh, and maybe Lucas on the left. Lucas look, you know, pretty decent as a as a wide option at times. So. Yeah, that's a possibility. If Shibu's fit to start, which I'm not sh- sure if he will be, but mm. if he is, then you could do that and you could play Oxnard Chamberlain in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and that leaves you one central midfielder light, depending on if you play Chamberlain as your number 10 or yeah. a deeper player. Uh, and that one, I don't know. I mean, will he go for a senior option like Cochla or will he look to mm. uh, a Zellalem or a... Yeah, maybe a Zellalem. I, mean, I think, you know, if Cazorla's injured or injury is going to keep him out for a little while, he seemed a bit unsure of how long Cazorla was going to be out. Um, so I'm not sure when he's going to be back. So I do wonder if he can risk Elneny and Coquelin, given that, you know, we're a little bit light, of course, with, with Ramsey still making his way back, uh, with Xhaka suspended. So... I would be surprised if he played if he played two senior men in there. I think he's got to be a little bit cautious. So, well, he's a big fan of uh, Christian Bielik. I know most of his football's been played as a centre half. Yeah, but he can play central midfield as well. That's a possibility. Or you drop Ox deeper and bring in, you know, a, a Willock or yeah, someone like that for yeah. the field. That could be a, that could be a good idea. So yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what. Uh, what exactly he does there? I mean, I, I'd be. I think senior involvement will be very, very limited. Um, you know, the the people that are probably going to play against uh, Sunderland at the weekend are not going to be involved um, in in this one. So, I I will be taking my girlfriend, who's from Reading, to her first Arsenal game. Right. Uh, so I'm really hoping for a you know show stopping performance. Theoretically, what? she's a Reading fan. Theoretically, but, you're but, you're trying to convert her. Yes, exactly. This is my opportunity. So, I need, you know, I need Ainsley Maitland Niles to to pull out all the big guns. Yeah, night. he needs to he needs to Ronaldo it up. Like I'm looking good at good Ronaldo. It, I mean, exactly. Yeah. I'm looking not too much. I mean, not too. That's not make him too attractive. I'll lose out. But he, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at Reading's recent form. They won at Rotherham at the weekend. They're eighth in the championship. Right. Do you know who their manager is? Uh, I should do. It is none other than Yapstam. Yapstam. Blimey. Blimey. They go through managers quite quite a bit, don't they? 
Yeah, and they've had, you know, Steve Clark. They had a few sort of defenders from the past in mm-hmm. the dugout. Brian McDermott, former Arsenal yeah. player, was the, the manager. Was he the manager when we had the 7-5? I can't remember. I forget as well. Yeah. I think he probably was. But, uh, yeah, they're doing all right. They're quite sort of miserly, not conceding too many goals. Oh, right. Defender doing his thing there, I guess. Mm. Mm, yep, same. So, I don't know, but, you know, you'd have to think. Home, home tie... Good chance of progression there. Yeah. Wow, Brian McDermott's been in charge there a few times. They they, yeah. they they have this repeaty thing going on with managers. They've had Alan Pardew a couple of times. Brian McDermott three times, thrice manager. Wow. Wow. Mark McGee. There's a fella. Um... Right. Well, yeah, okay. Well, that's EFL Cup action. Anything else catch your eye from the weekend? Anything? Did you see... Did you see the uh, the the gif uh, that I put up on Ars Blog this morning of the Barcelona players? Yes, very. <laughs> What's happening there? Like I've watched that so many times. So they're all for those who haven't seen it. They're celebrating. I think is it is it the winning goal, ninety fourth minute goal? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a penalty from Leo Messi, and then a fan hurls a plastic bottle. I mean, as I'm talking it through, I basically have realised what's happening. Presumably, the plastic bottle hits someone, and they think here's an opportunity for us to eat up time and kill the game, and they all collapse to the ground, basically. Yeah, and it's like about three of them go, ah, as if it hit all of them. Like, Mascherano is holding his head, falling backwards, holding his head. The ball doesn't even go near him. Mascherano is the funniest. I mean, it is almost as if it lands in the midst of them, the the, the bottle, and it explodes like a bomb. Or yeah. it's like someone says, you know, the most evil, say, Busquets, is like, OK, guys, on three, react like you've been shot. Yeah. And then they all just go. It's uh, extraordinary. It's I keep saying extraordinary today, but it is. It's mad. It's fucking amazing. I'm just watching it here over and over again. And just as the gift sort of gets back to the loop, you can see Busquets looking at them all going down. And he's thinking, you can see he's thinking, fuck, what do I, what do, I do? What do I do? I'm going to go for it. And I'm pretty sure that after that, he collapsed to the ground as well, rolling, holding his, holding his face. Uh, hello. Amber, hello. <laughs> hello. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. You can it's check really it out good. on today's uh, post on, on arsblog.com, of course. Um, I, speaking of Spanish football, I was watching Real Madrid last night mm. and uh, they won 2-1 in the end against Bilbao, I believe it was. But uh, Ronaldo's having a terrible time at the moment out there and it's it's wonderful to watch. There was a moment late on in the game he was played through, absolutely clear one-on-one, had runners either side of him to give them an open goal, went for goal himself it was saved by the goalkeeper and he was roundly booed by the Bernabeu. No way. They booed yeah, him. Yeah. yeah, they booed him. Right, they've had enough of his yeah. his selfish ways. He's still mm. got, what, nine goals from 11 appearances. Yeah. What a terrible time he's having. Boo. Oh, okay, actually, four of those goals were, were for Portugal. Okay, I mean, but, he's been fine, but he's not. He's not been. In, he's not been himself. But uh, yeah, th- did you see the clip where people were saying he he appealed for offside when Morada scored the winning goal? <laughs> he sticks his he sticks his hand up in the air. Now I'm I'm you know for all his rampant uh, egotism and narcissism, I can't believe that just because he didn't score the goal, he wouldn't be happy that his team scored the goal. I mean, I just don't think you can be a footballer and and think like that. But it's the most strange thing that Morata bundles the ball in from from close range, and Ronaldo looks across to the lines and puts his hand up. 
like I don't I don't know. Maybe he's saying he's not offside. I don't know what it is. I mean, he comes over then to have a, a little bit of a, a congratulation cuddle with uh, Morata afterwards. So it's not like he's fuming, but it, I don't know. Maybe there's just something really weird goes on in that guy's head. Yeah, maybe he he's he's kind of pretty selfish on the field. His mm. desperation to get shots away is something else. It's funny you mentioned Morata. Then might be fun in during an interlull. What we'll do? We'll go look at all the players we were supposed to be buying this summer and see how they're getting on this season. Oh yeah, good idea. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. Guitarian as well. Mm. Yeah, we've got a, an interlull coming up relatively relatively soon, actually. Ah, uh, so we do. Yeah, we've yeah. got uh, we've got the Sunderland game. Then I think it's uh, the Tottenham game at home, and after that, there's a, an interlull after which we go to Old Trafford. Mm. Mm. That'll be fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what we'll get? Oh yeah, I have a fair idea. Anyway, look, <laughs> we're going to take a break <laughs> right here, and we're going to come back with your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. So, who do you want to go first, or will, will I go first? Why don't you go first? Why don't I then? Okay. Uh, today is the Arsenal AGM. The Agam. So it is. It's the Agam. Mm. Mm. Um, which reminds me, if you say Agam rather than AGM, reminds me of a guy that I used to uh, work on the radio with, and he used to call NXS Inks. That's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, all right, but it is the AGM today, and Alex Hill says, as it is the AGM, if you could privately ask Stan Kroenke any question, and he had to answer it honestly and in full, what would it be? Um, maybe I would ask him who Theo Walcott was because <laughs> apparently there was clear footage of him at the game the other day leaning over and going, and who's that? Well, Theo Walcott was on the ball. No way. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, someone tweeted me to tell me that. I haven't <laughs> seen it myself, but that would be my first question. Uh, <laughs> Which one of these is Theo Walcott? And you've got yeah, Theo exactly. Walcott, uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and a bear. Gibbs. Yeah, and a bear. <laughs> yeah. And let's see if he can identify them. Um, good question. I mean, I'd, you know, it'll be interesting to see how fractious or not the AGM is today. It should mm. be a little less so than usual, given how things are going in the league. But yeah. people get ants in their pants about all sorts of things at AGMs, don't they? The, the, the seating's being filled rather than sold is the seems to be the main issue heading in. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one, I think. You know that there are yeah. so many tickets left... Uh, unused every weekend, and I know that um, a lot of that is, you know, d- down to people's basic interest. A lot of people have given up um, and decided that they're not going to use their tickets or even sell their tickets on via the the ticket exchange. Um, certainly, when you look across the club level seats, the the middle tier, um, there there are always uh, vast swathes of seats in there as well. Um, but yeah, I think it will be a relatively tranquil AGM unless somebody says something absolutely ridiculous and, and outrageous and what have you I think I, will, I would ask Kroenke what's the point what's your what's the point of it for you you know why what, yeah. what, what are you getting out of all this 
apart from, you know, owning a, a massive football club in London. Is, the, is it as simple as that? Is it just, well, it's a safe place? Not even a safe place, a smart place to put my money. Well, it's an increasing asset, isn't it? Yeah. I guess. And the more money comes into the game, the more valuable football clubs become, franchises, etc., etc. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I would like to know what, you know, why? What, what, are, you, what are you getting out of it? Are you getting anything mm. out of it? Is it just, I mean, it's just pure business, I guess. I suppose in one way, I mean, he doesn't pretend, does he? He doesn't pretend that, like, you know, I'm, I'm into this. This is great. I love the Arsenal, blah, blah, blah. At least from that point of view, he just keeps his mouth shut and doesn't insult anybody's intelligence by pretending that he's, he likes it. I think that's true. It's not like he turns up, you know, in full kit telling everyone how much he loves Theo Walcott. No. So uh, that would be kind of irritating in its own way. But then I think also a show of interest from someone who's even not necessarily historically a football fan can be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I might ask him what you've asked him, but I feel like I I know the answer and it's just... Mm. I mean, for, for, for me to presume, but it is purely a financial mm. interest and... Why? Why he got into sport? I'm not sure because obviously he's got experience in sport. That's a you know why he's ended up with Arsenal because his own franchises in the states. How he came to that point where he was investing in those, I don't necessarily know. Mm. If that spot, like, does he have a more real interest in American sport? Like, is he a big, you know, football fan or baseball fan or what have you? I haven't got a clue. I just know that he doesn't appear to be the most popular man either side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's that interesting a person that you'd want to ask him an awful lot. I mean, can you be a I'd boring, ask him, boring billionaire? I, yeah, maybe you can. Um, I would probably ask him uh, if, if he likes marmalade. <laughs> I've never had marmalade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this podcast, you could do a ground. taste test, you know. I'd ask him one of the questions that we get sent, you know, would he rather have, you know, massive hands or tiny feet or something like that? Yeah. Just <laughs> see if we can make him a bit more interesting, a bit more colourful. Yeah. Um, well, OK, well, we'll see. Uh, I don't think he's going to say an awful lot at the AGM today. Uh, Arsene Wenger will make a speech and uh, we will have a, a report uh, on Ars Blog News. So we'll uh, we'll see and uh, then we can get uh, back onto football. So, OK, next question. I think it's uh, you. It's from Gareth Stephen on Facebook. And he says, I went to the Arsenal... Stadium Museum recently mm. and had an urge to steal the boots of Michael Thomas from when we won the title in 89. If you could only own one piece of Arsenal memorabilia, what would it be? Robert Perez. <laughs> <laughs> um, His entirety. Yeah, yeah, just Robert Perez. That's it. That would be nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... Memorabilia is nice, but I'm not. I'm not that into it, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I have some signed shirts here, which are nice. I'm looking at a signed shirt. Gosh, was it the 2009 season here? So, on, on the uh, on the shirt signatures from Robin Van Persie, <laughs> Cesc Fabregas, yes, Denilson, all the big guns, Theo Walcott, uh, Emmanuel Adibayor, Ibue, Samir Nasri. 
Trying like to make a touring shroud. Yeah. It's a valuable, valuable piece yes. of Yes. So, I mean, I heard that, and it's nice, and I, I really appreciate it because uh, it was a gift uh, given to me, and it, it looks great on my wall, signed shirt and everything. But beyond that, I'm not madly into into collecting those kind of things. I know there are people who are that collect, collect all the programs or collect pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, th- that would be it for me, Robert Perez. Well, what about you? If there was anything you could have. I mean, my clock's broken, so yeah. Get that one in from the ground if I could make room for it. It's quite big, though they, that clock, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is quite cumbersome. I think maybe something. If I think about all the occasions that I'd want to see marked, I think my immediate reaction is something from the final day at Highbury. Something mm. from Highbury. Um, that springs to mind more than you know more than. 89 or 2004 or anything else I think I think I probably really miss Highbury so some sort of memento uh, from Highbury what would I take I don't know don't know but um, your seat maybe yeah you could do that I think couldn't you at the time mm. didn't they sell all or like have bits of the turf you could buy as well yeah or? my cousin bought some of the turf I think he sort of got it in a pot growing somewhere <laughs> uh, but Turf, I don't know, because I don't know where I'd put it. It's just basically it's, mud. Like, <laughs> I like yeah. it, you know, I, it's mud, really. It, it is mud and grass, and yeah. I've, I've got some of that elsewhere. Uh, I've got access to that. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's difficult to... I don't really... I'm the same as you. I'm not not particularly mm. someone to save mementos. I guess maybe the Thierry Henry's match ball from the final day at Highbury would be a nice one. Mm. You'd have to steal that from. You'd have to steal that from Thierry's house, I guess. Well, I, I'd, I'd give it a go, sort of Mission Impossible style, cat mm. burglar. <laughs> what could go wrong? What indeed? All right. Well, here's a question from Fred Thurbin at RLF86. And he wants to know, have you been looking out for Jack Wilshire's performances? Are you curious slash concerned? <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Well, I mean, I had a question from uh, Weendola on Twitter, and they said with the injury to Cazorla, was the Middlesbrough game the first time we've missed the on-loan Jack Wilshire? Um, I didn't see him play against Spurs, did you? Yeah, yeah. What did you make of it then? Fill me in. Um, he had some nice moments, some nice touches, but looked still a long way away from being really sharp, match fit. There was one moment late in the it could have been the first half where you know the ball was played through to him. He took a heavy touch when a better touch might have given him a chance to shoot a goal from from outside the box. Um, you know, he he completed ninety minutes for the first time since September twenty fourteen. So I think that tells you quite a lot about what this loan spell is really about uh, for him. It's it's playing regularly and getting those minutes under his belt. And if he can stay fit, then trying to find some form. And I think at the moment we're seeing a footballer who is trying very hard to, to make an impact physically. I don't know if he's doing an awful lot with his football. Um, but I guess it's progression and it's baby steps. Um, and he does seem to be, fingers crossed at this moment in time, playing regularly. He's playing week in, week out now f- for Bournemouth uh, because he is fit. And that's that's the main thing. But his football is still, it's a long way from the best that we've seen from Jack Wilshire, uh, which is uh, which is understandable. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, not necessarily concerned, because I don't think expectations can be 
that high at this moment in time. Um, but, you know, if in four or five months, if he's playing regularly and he's not adding some end product to his game, then I think we can start to be concerned. But for now, just, just sort of curious. And I do like the point that that other person made uh, about the game um, against Borough being one that might suit someone like Wilshire. Uh, again, though, you would have to make the caveat that it would be a fully fit on form Jack Wilshire that would have made a difference. The Wilshire that we saw play for Bournemouth against Spurs would not really have made any difference to, to the Borough game, I don't think. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's very early still to be drawing conclusions. Mm. If If you were forced to, you'd say at the moment he's looking like a Bournemouth player rather than an Arsenal player mm. out of water. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, at this stage, it's so much about him trying to get some rhythm back in his game that uh, you can't be too too quick to judge. I think it's it's good news, isn't it, that he played ninety minutes? It's good news that he's had a few games back to back there without consequences. The next step for him has to be about trying to get close to the level where he was before. I saw. I mean, you know, no one takes Harry Redknapp's comments too seriously, but he was in the press today saying, or over the weekend saying. He doesn't think there'll be a way back for him at Arsenal. He thinks Wilshire will realise that and, and, and not want to go back now that he's getting first-team football. But Right. Uh, early, and he's quite connected at Bournemouth, but I, I, it's very early to say anything like that. I mean, uh, yeah. at the moment, just good news that he's getting playing time. All right. Cool. All right, your question. Uh, OK, this one uh, comes from Stephen Bridget, and he says, we have a mosquito problem in the Australian outback at the moment. Mm. What I would like to know is, why do mosquitoes make annoying noises before they bite you? It would be a lot harder for them to get squashed and easier to take my blood if they just shut the fuck up. Regards, <laughs> Steve. Um, I, speaking as somebody who is absolutely delicious to mosquitoes right? Uh, from my time living in Spain, um, I wish I had good hearing because they used to just chomp my legs. Um as for the rest of it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just their wings, isn't it? So if they didn't have wings making that noise, then they wouldn't be able to fly. So unless they can invent, like, Airwolf. Do you remember Airwolf? Yeah. Or Blue Thunder, one of the helicopter shows, and they could put it in. So the helicopter's going along, going, and then they put it in silent mode, and it goes. So maybe, maybe mosquitoes need to be more like Airwolf. That's but- the best I can come up with. But we don't want that. We we don't want them to evolve to be silent. That would make them even more annoying. Mm. If anything, that what their little buzz that they make before they sting you is a kind of evolutionary thing that enables people with quick reactions to survive mosquito bites. Yeah. Hmm. I can sense that you're not happy with this because you feel like they didn't give you enough warning when they bit you, basically. Yeah, I was generally asleep. So. Ah. Yeah. Oh, you have to stay awake at all times. Yeah, this is a 24 hours awake. Mosquito watch. Um, so, but apart from that, uh, best of luck, I don't know, stay indoors or cover yourself with lemon cologne. That's that's my uh, hint for that. Ah. That works. Yeah, they don't, like, they don't like the citrus. Great. Just literally cover yourself in cover lemon. Cover yourself juice. in lemon. Yeah, exactly. All right, look, here's one from Ben Rogerson who wants to know... Are you worried about how many clear-cut chances we keep giving away? Defence getting split open every game. A little bit. 
Yeah, I saw Arsene Wenger talking about this, and he was saying, well, we're an offensive team, you know, our balance Mm. is set up to score goals rather than prevent them. So inevitably, there's a a little bit of risk in that. I mean, we talked about Petr Cech making good saves. There was also a brilliant last-ditch tackle, wasn't there, from Laurent Koscielny in the game, which was as good as a a save, really. I mean, a fantastic challenge. Um, And it does feel a bit like we are vulnerable. However... We also keep cle- keeping clean sheets. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on. We've got really good goalkeepers. Is that the conclusion? I don't know. Are we riding our luck a little bit? Probably, probably. But we're also we also have been scoring enough goals that it wouldn't have necessarily mattered. Had Ludogorets got a goal, you know, uh, I suppose it depends where it falls in the game. But mm. we were, we're we're doing enough generally to outscore teams. Middlesbrough, of course, the exception to that. Uh, but I, I guess that's what Wenger means about balance. You know, the, the team is set up primarily to score goals and there's a bit of risk incurred in that. I guess we're fortunate that we've got great last-ditch defenders in Koscielny, Mustafi and, and whoever plays in goal. Hector Bellerin as well is somebody who uh, can can get back and defend. Yeah, uh, just with, a bit. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, do, what do you think? We're, we're living on the edge, really. I think a little bit, yeah, to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I think the team is certainly playing much better football than it has done for, for quite a while. I think that's reflected in the amount of goals that we're scoring, obviously reflected in the league table, reflected in, in the results. But as well as that, you could look back at almost every game and think, ooh, <laughs> we're living a little bit dangerously here. You know, Burnley uh, hit the bar, didn't they? Uh, Borough hit the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the margins... Uh, the margins are, are are very small, and if, for example, one of those have gone in, uh, when you're when you're already struggling to break down a side, it becomes even more of a struggle when they've got a goal ahead. Um, you know, you get, get a bit of panic setting in, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, I think we've got a question about this actually. Here it is. I'm going to do it here if I can find it, which I probably okay. can't. God damn it. Uh, okay, yeah, here it is. It's from John Pecari. Um, and he says, Arsenal fans seem to grow tired of our tendency to pass uh, the ball around the area, trying to walk the ball into the net, etc., etc., while playing against a bus-like defence. But in the in the post-match interview, Petr Cech talked about a lack of patience and rushing the final ball. We should, according to him, have the calmness to wait for the right moment. So who's, who's right there? I mean, it's... Um yeah, I mean, it's it's an odd experience. I was in the ground for the game and there was one point where Francis Cochrane had the ball 30 yards out and he was kind of, everyone was like, shoot! <laughs> and I was like, come on, guys, <laughs> we, we know that's not going to work. Um, the problem is that we're not at our best when teams sit deep and we have to play that patient build-up. I know that's the kind of football we're traditionally kind of associated with over the past few years, but the, the f- good football we've played this year has been when we've been able to get teams to come out and hit them on the break and, mm. you know, move quickly from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that, you, you know, that that way, that patient build-up, that side-to-side, side is something I associate more with a kind of Giroud-led Arsenal side. Mm. Um, and, and he does at least have experience in playing that way so he does give you a target in the box to, to play off so maybe it's one where when when that's the approach you're forced to take maybe he becomes more 
useful. Yeah, I mean, are we, is that something we're going to have to contend with now? Because other teams must surely be looking at what Borough did and they'll look at what Burnley did. Uh, not necessarily teams in the top half of the table, but certainly teams in the lower half of the table will look at the, those two games and think, well, that is kind of the blueprint. That's how you frustrate Arsenal. That is how to get something from a game that you might be expected otherwise to, to lose. So trying to find a solution to playing against that is going to be something that the manager has to think about um, for, for the rest of this season. I suspect you're right. We're not Leicester. You know, Leicester was sort of allowed to play a certain way for much of last mm. season. Um, I think people will come to the Emirates <coughs> with a game plan and it's going to be it's going to be tricky. People will get wise, basically, to the changes that we've made. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's why... I mean, for so many... I, I really like this question and, and I... Uh, I'm not going to say uh, who it's from because it's not really the point, but someone said, do Arsenal have a plan B, passing sideways and backwards? We're becoming predictable, aren't we? And it's like, well, we do we do have a plan B, and it's Olivier Giroud, and he's going to be fit very soon. And that's something that we... It, we, it always should have been that way to an extent. You know, mm. he, he's always been a brilliant plan B waiting to happen. problem was there was never a plan A. And now we might have a plan A and a plan B. I Personally, I find that quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is an effective guy off the bench as well, Giroud. Yeah, that's true. Some players find it difficult to impact a game, mm. you know, when they come off. It takes some time to find their rhythm to, you know, catch up with what's going on. But he, he doesn't seem to have that issue. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he comes back into the side and, and what way the manager decides to use him. You know, I don't think he's going to be on the bench for every game. You know, he's going to start some games too. So depending on yeah. who we're playing and what way the manager predicts the opposition are going to play, Giroud might be the guy um, that gets uh, used from the start. So, Well, that's important too, just mm. being having that variety so that the opposition don't necessarily know what they need to set up for. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, who's... Oh, I've got a question for you. Okay. What do you make of uh, Alex Awobi's form in the last few games? Is he someone who, you know, if Giroud is coming back fit, he, I, I just wonder, would he be one of the first to maybe come out of the firing line, have a bit of a rest? He's played a lot of football for someone so young, and we do look a little bit vulnerable on that side. Yeah, I mean, I think seniority in a way dictates that, you, you know, the young guy... Uh, mm. is going to be the easiest one to take out of the team uh, to become maybe a bit expendable in a way. I think he's been I think he's been pretty good this season. I also think he's still a very young player who's who's learning mm. um and maybe coming out of the team for a little while wouldn't be the wouldn't be the worst thing for him, but he you know he he just has this ability to to find a pass that nobody else really does. And I'm, I don't yeah. mean that uh, we don't have creative players in the squad. And you've got Mesut Ozil in your squad, and, and he sees things, obviously. But he, he can shift the ball in this sort of great diagonal way between two lines, and all of a sudden there's somebody there with space. And he hits the ball with such pace and power, those passes, that it helps create even more space. So, uh, you know, it really depends what the manager is going to do. But, yeah, look, I think any young player is going to find that his form fluctuates, that when you come into the team at first, you're... You're obviously keen to impress, but there's also that that element where nobody knows you. Nobody knows quite how to play against you or what you do. 
Um, and you can be sure that now players are getting their 48-page dossiers on Alex Iwobi and what he does, what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses. So hmm. that, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. And just consistency is, is hard to find when you're a young player. I mean, he, he just made his breakthrough last season. He was in and out of the team in the first half of the season, and then in the second half of the season, you know, he's picked away at Barcelona, which is a real show of faith in him, and, and stayed in the team pretty much since then. But, you know, there will come a time where his form dips, and when his form dips, then somebody else needs to, to be given a go, which isn't to, to write off Iwobi or anything like that, but that's the reality of, of football. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't been quite at his best recently, but, uh, yeah... I'd be inclined maybe to think about giving giving him a little bit of a rest. I mean, he won't play tomorrow night, so... No, that's true. I just think he's a he's a slight kind of... I really like him, but mm. and he... he l- What's the right word? I guess he lubricates our attacking play. Is that fair to say? That like, is a very good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, he, sort of, he seems to slick in everything. I guess Robert Perez had that effect. To that's what Wenger too. said about Perez, wasn't it? He's the oil, the oil in our in engine. engine. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And I think... Iwobi has that, but it is interesting, this vulnerability we have on the left-hand side. Monreal taking a lot of uh, criticism, I guess, for, for that from some fans, but I do wonder if it's more of a structural problem, but you don't want to lose what Iwobi brings in an attacking sense. So. Mm. And part of his strength is that he wanders. He's not there all the time. You know, He pops up in the middle, he pops up on the right, but when you're caught on the break, Monreal's isolated. Yeah. So it's one for... It's one for Arsene to ponder, definitely. Yeah, all right. Here's one from Daniel Bailey at Super Furry Balls. Lovely. Mm. I made lovely meatballs uh, during the week, by the way. They were excellent. Did you actually? Yeah. Inspired by our conversation? Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a picture of my balls. I took one. Thank I meant you very to. Much. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, but, Snapchat uh, it. Yeah, I will. Uh, Super Furry Balls wants to know how do you guys feel about the season now compared to the anger at the start of the season and there's another one here from bum, 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 uh, sort of sort of related uh, Jonathan Houseman who wants to know uh, do drop points in, in a winnable run of games like last year's show are not quite ready to challenge so I guess that's to do with the Borough game well I don't think we look entirely convincing but then I'm not sure anyone else in the league does either uh, that's the that's the good news, right? Mm. Uh, you don't. I saw Gary Neville talking about this on Sky, and he said you don't trust any of those t- sides in the top five, and I think that's fair. There are kind of there's fallibility to them all, even Manchester City. Um, so I think I actually think we're in a better position than I would have anticipated uh, at the start of the season, and perhaps even. After deadline day, you know, mm. I, I've, I've been really impressed by the way we've recovered from that opening Liverpool game. And as much as it is irritating and bad to have dropped these two points against Middlesbrough, we're still on a, a very strong unbeaten run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got another clean sheet there. And, and I don't think the momentum's been completely sapped by that result. Uh, I think we've got every chance of getting back on the, mm. on, on the wins as soon as possible. So I feel... Very positive about the way things have gone. Um, I think that, you know, Mustafi's been a a great addition and has settled really quickly alongside Koscielny in a way that's very encouraging. I think that the new attacking shape with Alexis has worked to treat much more so than I think anyone could have anticipated. So I think there are, are real reasons to be positive. And with mm. the league the way it is and every side dropping points, you know... 
we could we could be plucky little Leicester. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fair enough. I'd, I'd echo a lot of that. I think it is. Uh, it's it's encouraging. I think we've taken steps forward from from last season, which is really good. I I feel like the football is identifiably Arsenal again. Identify, mm. uh, identifiably Wenger again. Um, so that that's really positive. I think the squad depth is there. We've reacted well. Uh, you know, it's shown actually some real mental strength uh, after losing on the opening day um, and, and responded quite well. So it's encouraging. I mean, still questions to be answered. Uh, there'll be more questions asked of us uh, as the season goes on. But I think in general, uh, it's difficult not to be a lot more positive than, let's say, this time last season or certainly in the in the depths of last season. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the the most important thing for me is that nobody's broken away as yet. I, you know, in some respects, the season, of course, has started, but it's also still such a level playing field, and some mm. a, a team is going to go on a big run at yeah. some point in the next couple of months, and you know, we've kept pace to this stage, and we have to try and make sure that it's us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, question from you. Question from me. Yeah, let's have a question. Uh, well, this is a, a weird one, but I liked its kind of optimistic twist Peter Brown on Twitter asked is it good in a weird way that we didn't win and go clear at the top because it lowers the pressure on us no it's (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's good to not win I mean I I see the point uh, to an extent but I think you would rather have two more points right than just be like slightly behind uh, Manchester City on goal difference. The, yeah, I don't. I don't. The theory is if we if we're chokers, you know, we can't choke if we're not tops. If we just cling on to second, very close until the final day, and then overtake them right at the death. Yeah, that yeah. might be our best bet. Right. In seriousness, though, I, I mean, obviously, you're right. It's never good. It's never good to not win. Mm. Yeah. But I, I, I even felt like online there wasn't the same kind of outcry that they're can be when we drop points, you know. I feel like people were relatively uh, sane and, you know, accepting mm. of what happened against Middlesbrough. I, it depends. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I didn't see too much um, craziness, but I don't think you would have to go too far to find it. Yeah, true. Do maybe. you know what I mean? So it depends where you're looking and what's, you know, what's on your follow list and, and who you're seeing. Uh, I think there will be people who just, you know, go crazy. Um just because that's that's their nature. Um, but like you know, I think when you're unbeaten in eleven games, you can you can temper the disappointment of dropping two points much more easily than if this was dropping two points against the Borough side after you've come off another couple of disappointing results. You know, so that, I think there's an understanding that you know we're not going to win every game, and it's mm. it's. Um, I think the Borough game was one that we probably should have won based on our form and everything else. But maybe there are lessons to be learned from it, and maybe the manager will have to think a bit more clearly about how he sets up his team to play against teams that are going to defend like Boris. So I'm not saying it's a positive in any way, but maybe there are things that we can take that will uh, that will prove positive over over the rest of the season. So, Yeah, and as you said earlier, it felt like one that, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, mm. we, pro- we probably would have lost. Probably. All right. Well, look, here's a couple of quick ones to uh, to finish us off. Uh, Rich Bruns, who's at Gonzo Grover, wants to know, who in the squad do you think choose the loudest? Lucas Paris. Do you think? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I just went through it in my mind and he, yeah, I think he might be a messy eater. 
Right. Who do you think? I would have said maybe Alexis. Oh, yeah, as I well. think he's probably like a... He's, he's a speed eater. Like, Alexis wouldn't sit down and enjoy a meal, just, you know, have company. Food arrives, and he's like... <laughs> just shoveling it in there as fast as he possibly can. Like a Labrador retriever, because they eat like that. And he's got his two, uh, his two very nice dogs, of course, who would eat like... So I'd say he sits down with his dogs. <laughs> so he would be one... We regret to inform you that the rest of this conversation has been removed on legal advice and on the grounds of basic human decency. If you would like further information, hard luck. There isn't any. Um, okay, final one then. This is from... Bum, 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 uh, ben Rogerson. Did I just do one by him? I don't know. Maybe it's his lucky day. It is his lucky day. Because he had the question about the clear-cut chances. But this is another question. Double Ben Rogerson. Um, he's at BJ Rogerson. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he says, Wenger versus Mourinho in the octagon. Who wins? Ha. And what is each competitor's finishing move? Well, I think uh, Mourinho's finishing move is the eye gouge, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's a killer move. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. If he does it twice, you're in real trouble. Yeah. Uh, what's Wenger's finishing move? I think... I don't know, actually. I'm trying to think of any sort of big physical thing he's done, and all, all I've got going around in my head is him sort of trying to trap someone in a zip. Uh, <laughs> uh, what? I mean, I guess his finishing move... I feel like he, you know... I feel like Wenger's like one of those sort of kung fu guys who sort of, you know, he, he only needs to, like, touch you. It's the heart punch kind of thing, you know? Mm. If he touches you in, like, five places really fast, like in Kill Bill or something, yeah. then you just die. <laughs> I think he's got that kind of vibe. Yeah. I, listen, I've got to go with, with Big Veng, haven't I? Yeah, I, I, I think Wenger, Veng. yeah, Wenger would absolutely take him. No question about it. He's got the reach. It. He's yeah. got a reach advantage. Yeah, and he's he's sort of bony and, like, the elbows would be sticking into you and... Yeah, Mourinho's. Yeah, that would be the eye, the eye gouge, certainly, or the uh, the crying something because he's very unhappy yeah. today. Fingers finishing move. I don't know something like. Again, if you're going to get into the realms of disgustingness, I think he could have something. It could be called the the peacock's fist. <laughs> so he, right. he he pushes or he punches his opponent in the mouth. And he can get his whole hand down the guy's throat because his he's got his so arms thin. so bony. And then, like a peacock's tail, he just goes and opens up his fist. Oh, God. And the guy's like, Wah! there's blood everywhere. And, and that's, yeah, I think, I think that would be his. The peacock's fist. The peacock's fist. Arsene Wenger and the peacock's fist. There's a, like a J.K. Rowling book. <laughs> if, if if UFC want to stage that fight as a, in the octagon as pay per view, I'll, I'll pay good money. Yes, to see that go down. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't think. Or maybe will. we'll see it at Old Trafford in a, yeah. in a couple of weeks. Oh time. God, I think we might. I think <laughs> we might. It could be. I mean, by the time that game comes around, who knows what will have happened to you know us and them? Um, but God, yeah, I really, really hope we fucking stuffed them. Yeah, that'd be that one. But look, we can we can worry and fret and get anxious about that one. Uh, the Qatarian hat trick awaits us. <laughs> oh God! 
All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you uh, for listening. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for all the reviews and stuff that you leave on iTunes, the ratings and reviews. Very much appreciated indeed. Uh, I'll be here on Friday as we look ahead to the Sunderland game with a regular Arscast. And uh, James and I will be here next Monday to to uh, talk about David Moyes. David Moyes. Mm. What could what, that'll be interesting, wouldn't it? David Moyes should be a thriller. Absolutely. God. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening again. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye.